Yo, welcome back. My name is Rob Long. This is The Great Date Guy, the podcast where we didn't give a shit about audio quality until today <laughs> because I am realizing that, um, you know, that really impacts the experience that you get to have on this podcast. So that, that out of the way, today's question is, can psychedelics improve your motherfucking dating life? And the answer is no. Thank you. Goodbye. This is this is <laughs> that's it. We'll catch you next. I'm just kidding. There, so the answer is obviously yes. We wouldn't be having a podcast on this subject unless the answer were yes. Um, so first, I want to talk about what substances to look into, and then I'm going to talk about why why they're valuable for you. So of the experiences that I can recommend, uh, I've heard people talk about weed as a, as a valuable tool for introspection. I personally don't prefer it because I feel a little bit of anxiety when I'm on it. It feels a little out of control. I don't like forgetting where I am or what I'm doing from moment to moment, not being able to have a conversation. And people are always like, oh, yeah, well, it depends on the strain, man. And that might be true for them. But for me, it's always the same experience, regardless of the strain. I'm just like fucking time traveling and I have no awareness of what I'm up to at that point in time. So for me, that is not a useful state to navigate most of the time. Now I can see that in using weed, um, <clears throat> which, which could barely qualify as a psychedelic, right? If you have enough of it, it might be, you might get a little bit of visuals with it, but it, it can hardly, it can hardly qualify. But what I can see the value in that experience is if you have a similar sort of condition as me where you have this uh inability to be with being out of control spending more time with the substance of weed can allow you to practice and find a new way of being when you're in that altered state when you're in a situation where things are definitely out of control you feel like you have very little agency no ability to impact what's going on well, if you get used to that, if you're comfortable in that territory, eventually you may find that actually that's just an illusion too. I do have control. It just feels that way and I can set that aside. And that's that's most of the process, right? Over time, we learn that there's a specific way that we should behave, right? And it's, it's only safe if we behave that way. But the entire goal in this podcast is we figure out what we assumed that way was, because sometimes it's unconscious. We just grow up learning things. We assume they're normal. That's how everyone's supposed to behave. And then over time, we learn like, oh, shit, there are people that don't do that. So I can, I can change who I am as well. And I can do it in a meaningful way, not just pretending to do it by like taking new action, right? I can actually change the way that I think about the world and react to the world and view the world. That's the most valuable thing. So we can take on that substance from that perspective. If you get anxiety when you have weed, if you feel out of control, if you don't enjoy the experience, do that. Now, if you get a different effect, good for you. I haven't actually had that effect with weed, so I can't speak to it. So we're moving forward into the next substance. Now, there's been like a lot of buzz about DMT. Uh, DMT produces a substance in your brain, uh, or it is a substance in your brain that's only released at two points, one when you're born, and one when you die. 
Um, it's, it's known as the God chemical to some, uh, it's supposedly produced by the pineal gland, which is behind your third eye in your brain. Uh, and that's a little bit woo for me. Um, but the experience of DMT is an interesting one. Uh, you can either smoke it or make a tea out of it. Uh, ayahuasca contains DMT and it is one of the most spiritual experiences that you can have. However, you do need to take some time to prepare for that experience, right? Especially if you're doing an ayahuasca ceremony, it's useful to have someone who can hold that container for you and help you run that ritual. Uh, there's also prep work that you do for it. Ayahuasca requires um, a dieta um, or where you give up stuff in ritual sacrifice in preparation for the event. And so it's a little bit like Lent in a lot of ways, right? You're preparing for this big momentous occasion where some epiphany is going to hit you. I don't know if that's what Lent is actually about. I think it's I think it's about something else. It's like sacrifice to God or whatever it means now in the current context, because I think it was different before. The old application of Lent, I believe, was actually in preparation for a psychedelic experience. And psychedelics, contrary to what many, many Christians believe right now, uh, used to have uh, a place within Christian ritual and theology, right? It was a means of communing with God. Uh, and up until recently, uh, that was a normal thing in modern society that's no longer welcome. Now, why then? Why would you have an ayahuasca experience? Um, because, <laughs> because ayahuasca is designed to create like profound life-changing kinds of experiences and epiphanies. A lot of times people walk away with the experience of meeting God, encountering God. Uh, they have uh, experiences with spirits that tell them what to do in the next stage, right? So these are like transcendental spiritual experiences. Um, and those kinds of things can help us understand what's actually important to us. Whether or not you actually believe those things are happening is irrelevant. Because once you have the experience, you're going to walk away with a different understanding of life. And a lot of times, when we have a near-death experience, for example, we get real trued up to what's actually important to us. All the bullshit falls away. Right? If you almost die in a car accident, you start to understand that maybe complaining about your job isn't that important. Maybe it's time to move on to a career that's actually fulfilling. And then you take the leap of faith. And that's why so often after some catastrophic thing, some near-death experience, people walk away completely transformed because their value system gets an opportunity to change. What's actually important to you changes. It can go from the superficial to understanding that family is what's actually important to you. You can be like Vin Diesel. Um, and <laughs> I believe I made that joke. Anyway, I heard that entire campaign was, uh, was the result of a, a, an ad agency creating a bunch of shitty Vin Diesel memes in order to promote the next Fast and the Furious movie. So there you go. Now, now that's stuck in your brain, and good luck getting rid of that shit. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let's loop it back in. I got it. Um, so when we talk about DMT, that's the kind of experience that most, many, many people have. And for me, when I was on DMT, uh, the thing that occurred for me was, um, first of all, the floor just started changing colors. Like it was going through the entire rainbow of colors. And if, if you've messed around with Photoshop before, you've probably used the hue slider, 
which causes everything to stay the same shape, right? All the tonality and shading is all the same. Um, but the colors of things just cycle through the rainbow. And that's what I was seeing on that carpet. It was fascinating and beautiful, right? And so at a certain point, I decided to close my eyes. And then what I saw was a perfect recreation of what I was just looking at. My brain was, it was like my eyes were open, except they were closed. And I opened and closed my eyes a few times just to make sure. So that was happening. And what that had me realize was my brain has all the hardware that it needs to literally hallucinate any reality in a photorealistic way. In fact, it is doing that right now. It is doing that right fucking now. Um, and so then I began to discover that I could control my perception of reality. And there was like a kaleidoscope of different things happening in my brain. And depending on what I liked and disliked, I, would, I was thinking like, oh, there's a beautiful woman that just showed up. I like that. My brain would give me more beautiful women. And then it's like, oh, that one was in a bikini. Well, okay, now they're all in bikinis. And so a couple of useful things popped up. One was I understood that, hey, all of reality is a hallucination. It's my brain generating reality. It is simply an interpretation, like getting a peek behind the curtain. Oh crap, everything that I feel, touch, smell, and see is actually just this little reality prison that my brain has created for me. It doesn't mean that what I'm interacting with isn't real, but it does mean that everything that I'm interacting with is an interpretation. Uh, that was mind-blowing. And the second piece was this other bit around, well, what was I interacting with? What was tailoring my experience so that it was more desirable for me? And over time, I've come to understand that that was my unconscious mind. It's just kind of helpfully there in the background wanting to give me what I asked for. So what I was thinking about, it would provide more of. And that's really important for later because your unconscious mind is always doing that in the background. If you have a question that you want answered and you fall asleep, sometimes, at least for me, you wake up with the answer in your mind already. How did you get there? You weren't doing complex logic and proofs in the background while you were sleeping. Well, that must mean that a part of your brain was doing the work for you. And that's what your unconscious mind is up to. That's what that fucker is doing in the background. And it's really cool because you don't have to put in the effort and it'll just do it for you. But if you are constantly thinking about what could go wrong, if you're constantly worried about preventing disaster, then that's what your brain is going to focus on. It's going to be focused on what's wrong, and it will provide you with a lot of things that are going wrong automatically because it wants to help you out. That's your unconscious mind, and that's one way to understand the law of attraction too. If we, Even if I'm in the same room, exact same stimulus, I could focus on the flaws that I don't like. There's a little, there's a little black scrapey thing on the wall in the corner for me. I don't like it. The lighting here isn't perfect. My butt feels a little bit uncomfortable on this seat. And the more I focus on those things and talk about them, the more it just seems like my context is crap. But I'm ignoring the fact that there's a beautiful Japanese screen in here that I've backlit with lovely orange lighting. I'm ignoring that I'm enjoying this podcast recording it, listening to the ideas that pop up as I'm speaking. I'm missing out on the fact that right now I can look through the window and the neighborhood that I'm in is gorgeous and it's close to the beach. 
So you can see that we exist in sort of parallel realities. And what we force our unconscious mind to pay attention to is sort of the groove in the record that we get to play. We could play the other tracks at any point in time, and some of them might be happier or sad or more angry, depending on what track we land on. But it is always a choice as to what track we're on. So that, <clears throat> that in a nutshell, is some of the stuff that came as a result of a single experience on DMT. And some stuff that you should know about DMT is that it lasts about, oh, I don't know, like, like about 10 minutes, right? Uh, if you do the tea, it might be longer, um, and it's an ayahuasca ceremony, so at some point you drink the tea, and then a lot of times people feel the need to throw up, and then the actual trip and the experience starts. So it can be kind of aversive and a little bit crazy, which is why you want to have someone who is experienced to guide you through that process. Now, if you're smoking it, it's a little bit different, right? It's a different experience. You won't throw up, thank God. And that's the one that I did. But it does feel like burning. You have to hold it in your lungs for a little while. And then the visuals start. So it's kind of specific, again, when you want someone to help you through that experience. Because it can be jarring, if, especially if it's your first time. Now, the, the ones that I want to highlight next, though, are mushrooms and uh, LSD. Acid, right? Um, now, these two, in my book, produce very similar results. Um, mushrooms feel a little bit gentler to me than acid. Acid feels a little bit more frenetic and raw, but you may find that you have a different experience. But from, from what I've seen and in the overlaps in my experience, and I've done dozens of trips, um, what I've seen is that that experience generally lasts from about six to eight hours. And the amount of sleep that you get prior to that is really important. Um... Because the, the amount of neurotransmitters that you have available in your head will dictate how profound the experience is for you. So you really want to be making sure that you get proper rest and exercise before you go into a trip. Uh, another way that you can begin doing this is microdosing, in which, take, in which case you take a dose that is below the dose that you start to get like a little bit manic. Um, you take the dose that is below usually the perceptible level of experience for most people. Um, and you might be wondering why, what becomes available if you do this? Why would you set aside an entire day? Why would you build out a routine out of microdosing, for instance, to experience this for yourself? Um, and the reasoning that I can give is that when you are on psychedelics, um, it's enough of a different mental state that you really start paying attention to what you think is normal or how you should behave. Because it disrupts your reality just enough where you're like, oh man, am I being weird right now? Can people tell that I'm on drugs? Like, should I be sending that text? And, and you begin to see the processes in your brain that stop you from doing the stuff that you logically want to do what are my patterns you begin to notice like oh shoot i'm avoiding beautiful women instead of speaking to them they're not rejecting me i'm rejecting myself and and as you go through this experience i i believe that 
you're in this emotional space of your highest self. So you can actually, at least in my experience, right? And I'm going to say that again and again and again, because your experience on this substance will be very deeply personal to you and how you are and how you conceptualize the world and think about reality. So you really want to enter into this with some kind of framework of responsibility. What I experience is what I created for myself, including my emotions, my feelings, and what I perceive. And if you can enter in with that and a good amount of curiosity, then it's going to give you the world. It will give you the one insight that you really needed to hear, right? And it may be an uncomfortable insight. You may realize that you grew up and you were actually abused, but you didn't, you didn't know, right? And so at least for the first trip, it's really important to be with someone who has had some level of experience to help you navigate that because it can be a really jarring thing going from not having that awareness to suddenly realizing that reality isn't actually as real as we've made it out to be. It's not as solid, not as concrete as we've been taught. So as you make that transition, uh, you want someone who's navigated that space to help you recognize that what you're going through is normal. So that being said, that awareness is everything. And it, again, circles back over to the unconscious mind. Um, when you're in this mode, you will have many different opportunities. And one of those opportunities is you can, you can help yourself work through some stuff that happened in the past and bring it to a satisfying conclusion. You can work through the things that were hurtful for you in the past. And as a result of that, you can move forward with less fear about what bad things might happen. And let's, let's set the record straight here. The reason why we don't do things is because we're worried about repeating the past. The reason why you aren't approaching those hot, attractive women at the club is because you don't want to be brutally rejected or have someone throw a drink in your face or assume that you're a creeper or something like that, right? The reason why you don't launch that business is because maybe you've tried in the past. Maybe it wasn't launching a business. Maybe it was just like you as a kid trying out for the baseball team and getting brutally rejected, right? And you don't want to repeat that experience. And you may not realize the connection until you start doing psychedelics. Now, I also want to create here that like you don't need to do any of these things. In fact, I am not going to recommend that you do them in the United States because they're illegal and they're, they're schedule one drugs, except for except for weed, I think. Right. Um, you, you can actually have an ayahuasca ceremony. I think you can hire someone for that. It's legal in the United States. Uh, there is a church that has a license to do so. Um, and you, you might consider doing that. But. What I really want to create here is that this is a tool. It's not the only way. There are many different ways to ascend your level of consciousness. And one of them might be therapy. You can literally do therapy and get the same kinds of processing out of this. In fact, if you have done therapy before, if you've done programs like Landmark before, going back afterwards and doing psychedelics will be a much more powerful experience for you. So little legal disclaimer there. That's something that you should be aware of. This is not an, an advocacy program for these substances. It's simply for educational purposes to help you understand what they do and what might be desirable about doing them, what, what to expect about that process.
Okay. With that set aside. Oops. Okay. Coming back to that. All right. So with that set aside, what you are essentially creating for yourself out of acid, out of mushrooms, is this flow state. You are essentially entering a flow state for about six hours. And it'll begin tapering off towards the end of the trip. In fact, you might find a little dip at the end where you venture into the darker emotions, your default negative emotions. Where do you usually go? For me, I usually go into some kind of guilt spiral. I feel really bad about who I've been in the past, what I've done. It doesn't matter if I've already apologized with that person and made good. Part of my brain is still guilty about that shit. And so you can begin to bring awareness to where you're reactive in life instead of feeling like you have agency, power, and control. And that in of itself is its own very, very powerful, useful thing. So not only are you in flow state, which means that you're brilliant, you're making deductions that are like once in a lifetime, just master strokes of logic and awareness. Um, but you're also very, very aware of your internal state. How does your brain think and operate? What is it assumed has been normal up until this point in time that I that I was that I'm suddenly on this substance? And that combination of factors makes it possible to have very, very powerful experiences and realizations about stuff. Um, the big one for me was recognizing some stuff about my mom. Um, Growing up, my mom would always give me these giant ass, like gallon-sized Ziploc bags filled with basically like, you know, those survival kits that they used to give kids uh, for, for earthquake preparedness? I guess that's a very specific example. In California, there are these earthquake survival kits that you have to bring with you to school. Um, so they contain like a water bottle, a couple of granola bars, some fruit snacks. Uh, just basic necessities to help you survive in case an earthquake happens, and then California is thrown into a state of natural disaster and emergency. My mom, every time I saw her, would basically give me an earthquake survival bag. And when it was when it was happening at, at the time, it was just like, like, what the fuck? Like, you don't trust me to survive on my own? Like, why are you why are you giving me this bag? Like every single time, I have like thirty of them. It's becoming kind of a problem because like I don't use them they just take up space in my apartment and so I was very like resentful and annoyed about that now looking at it now you might be thinking to yourself oh wait that's adorable she loves you but I could not see that before the trip right and I, I don't think I would have put two and two together for many many years before I took a trip on acid and so what, what happens in that context, what happened to me was like looking back and thinking like, oh man, why is she doing this? I don't like this behavior, but where did it come from on her end? It was beginning to see like, oh my God, like she, she had a sibling die when she was young. Her mom died when she was young. Uh, she's had to take care of me and my sister for most of her adult life. Um, and and she's, she's, she's been in the situation where she is just trying to help me survive out in the world. And so that little bag was her gift of love. It's her, her, her tiny way of being able to control what happens to me out in the world. And it's a little gesture, but it's what she has access to. And so all of a sudden I had, I had this compassion for my mom that I didn't have before. 
and it was moving. In that moment, I was crying because I finally, finally saw that connection. And it helped me forgive my mom for a few things and get me started on repairing that relationship with her. Which, if you do therapy or counseling or coaching, you know that that's really important foundational work. Your relationship with your parents really, really influences your relationship with yourself. And your relationship with yourself really, really, really influences any human relationship that you get into, whether it's for dating, whether it's for business. And that includes client relationships, right? If you ever have a client that really rubs you the wrong way, it's because some past trauma is running through your brain and you're experiencing an emotional reaction. And if you can deal with that, then you can really be effective with more clients. You see what I'm getting at with this? As you do this deeper work, your earning potential increases because your ability to be phenomenal with people increases across the board. Less people are triggering for you. Therefore, you're more dateable too, right? And so you become more attractive as a human being as a result of this kind of work. So that, I think, in a nutshell, is what becomes available on psychedelics. Of course, there are many other substances out there, and there are some that I'm going to be trying in the near future. Ketamine-assisted therapy is becoming available, and it's legal now, right? They, uh, I think Mindbloom does a program that I'm checking out, and I'll keep you posted on how that goes. I also want to try Combo, which is actually not a hallucinogen. It's not a hallucinogen. Um, it's tree frog venom, and they put that on you, and you get to have the experience of your body dying. And I say get to, because the reason why I'm taking on that experience is because, one, I know that I'm not going to die. It will be really severe, but the logical part of me knows that there's no actual risk of death. So I don't, I don't have to put myself in harm's way, necessarily. But what you really do get is that your body is very convinced that it's going to die. And there's like projectile vomiting, your tongue swells up, your face swells up, you have trouble breathing. It really does feel like you're going to die. And what I want to be able to do is make my peace with myself to retain agency in that moment anyway. The most challenging thing in life, the thing that we fear the most, the end, the ultimate end, how can I be powerful even despite that? And I think that in having that experience for myself, I can begin mapping that to other areas of life. Okay, well, this situation is difficult, but it's not as difficult as that one time that I got poisoned by tree frog venom and I thought I was going to die while I was hurling into a bucket. Now, that doesn't sound really great to most people. Uh, I, I think I would have trouble convincing my friends to sign up for that experience. But it does sound like something that I want to do precisely for that reason. I want to have as many different perspectives and experiences as I possibly can to make so, make it so that I I am I show up powerful, capable, and the way that I want to show up, no matter what is happening around me. The world could be descending into chaos, and I would still be me, compassionate, kind, in control, logical, right? Um, able to be an effective leader, no matter what. Now, I'm not that person, and I, I may never fully be that person, but every little piece of, of mental chaff and chatter that I can chip off by getting these new perspectives, well, that gets me closer to the goal. 
So if you're interested in those kinds of things, it's probably going to be worth your while to do a little bit more research to see, hey, what's available in my area? What is legal? <laughs> what, what, what won't end up getting me in jail or imprisoned? And how can I begin to create those experiences for me? Um, you may find that within your community, peyote is available. Mescaline is available. I don't think that you can do that in the United States. Um, but in other countries, you can. In Brazil, ayahuasca ceremonies are like 20 bucks. And people are very highly trained. That's a profession there. You can be a shaman. Peru, very similar. El Salvador, very similar. And these kinds of things are available. And you don't have to travel in order to get to these kinds of experiences. There's something in your environment right now that you can tap into that will allow you to have this level of introspection. And even if psychedelics aren't available, what you can do is begin to get that perspective in other ways. Therapy is one way, right? Having, having the, the balls, right? Having the guts to go and take on new experiences that terrify you so that you can see oh, wait, that fear, it's not really who I am. I did the action anyway. I acted despite the fear, so it's not me. That's the hard way. I think that that is the most difficult path. That's some warrior shit. And it's worthwhile exploring that path until you're comfortable overcoming your fear, even if the fear is still there. I've walked that path before. It's highly valuable. You can travel. You can just go to a different park, a different neighborhood, a different city, a new country. The further you go from what you would consider to be normal, the things that you take for granted, the more perspective you get, especially if the people around you are different, especially if you act differently in a new environment. So begin to play with the idea of creating new perspective for yourself. And that's all it is. It, that's what perspective shift is. That's what inner work is. That's what coaching is based off of. Creating new ideas for what's okay. For how, for how I'm allowed to operate in reality. And right now, how you think you might be allowed to operate in reality might be small and constrictive. No, I can't approach that girl. She's too hot. She's fucking out of my league. No, I can't quit my job and launch a business. That's too risky. I could never make that work, right? No, I can't get a divorce. I'm just going to stay in this thing and be unhappy for the rest of my life. It would be too much work, too much drama. Well, we can sit down and challenge those beliefs. And when we challenge those beliefs, that's when true fucking freedom and fulfillment becomes available. That's when you begin living the life that you've always, always been dreaming of, right? But it first has to start with that inner work. We all know what the next step is. We all know what action we should be taking, but we don't do it. Those emotions, those patterns, those fears, those self-sabotaging moments, the procrastination, those are what we need to address. And as we begin to address those things, that's what game is, right? That's what seduction is. That's what your business is. It's the structures and processes and personal growth that build up into this thing that earns us money when we interact with other people. But first you need to overcome stuff like, shit, I don't want to charge people money. Or fuck, I think that I might be charging too much. Are people going to want to pay this? Like, ah, oh, I don't want to be a salesy, advertising kind of person. Marketing feels really bad for me. You overcome it. You overcome it. You overcome it. Once you're done, then you've got your business.
So that's a pretty big download for today. And if you got something out of this podcast, be sure to smash that subscribe button until it changes color. I don't know if that's a thing. That's what happens on YouTube. I don't like do the Apple thing. So, you know, do, 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 do whatever works for you. Leave a rating if you liked it. If you, uh, if you, if you feel like you're going to be able to take this and turn it into something big for you, that helps me a lot as well. And as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here with me. This was 32 minutes. Um, yeah. And I hope that you got something really valuable from your time listening here today. Uh, yeah. That's it. The end. I love you. My name is Rob Wong. This is the Great Date Guy podcast. Oh, butchered my own podcast. Great Date Guy podcast. And we'll catch you next Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific time. I don't know why I pluralized myself, but there you go. That's the thing. Peace.